Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Previously on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Hanging on the drivehubler.com studios on this Wednesday. A little hump day edition of the show. KB and Andy, reminder, uh, reminder we got you until 10 o'clock. Stephen Holder going to join us coming up here at the top of the hour. We'll get back into the basketball discussion. Obviously, the big news with Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see here uh, in about two weeks exactly, you know, if, uh, if he's going to be back sooner rather than later. What do the Pacers need to do while he is out? We'll dive into all of that as we continue today and then Indiana just disgusting last night at Rutgers. Uh, Purdue falling on the road as well. Not good for them. A late night uh, on Peacock. I think it's fair to say Disgusting Were they for Purdue disgusting as well. For yeah, Purdue? You, give up, you give up 88. You got how many turnovers they well, have. Can I say um, something about this? I, I do think Nebraska is a much better team, obviously, oh, than, no than, about than Rutgers. But my expectation for level of Purdue is much higher than well, it is we, for Indiana. Let me ask you this before we dive into the Minshew conversation. This is my problem. I find myself knowing, like, okay, Indiana, their issues and everything else with Purdue. And this is my first time following Purdue. Not watching, which I've been doing, but following Purdue. I find myself being easy on them in a well, game like the, last night when I probably don't need to be just because they have six quad one wins already. Say, they've earned benefit of the <laughs> doubt. I mean, like, yeah, I they're going to be at, one seed. You know, I, I obviously laugh at you know, people are like, well, you're going to rip Purdue as much as you ripped IU. <laughs> like, no. For the Nebraska loss. Well, again, have you watched Purdue all season long? Have you yeah. watched Indiana all season long? They're two totally different grading scales yeah. with those two. But still, you know, again, exiting last night, if you look at what has ended Purdue's season – it's been high turnover numbers. And if you look at the two losses this year with Nor- with Northwestern and with Nebraska, high turnovers. And Matt Painter said this before, Andy. It's almost like we just got to get out of our own way. Like if we just don't turn it over, A, Zach Eady's so efficient that that's going to lead to good offense. B, we rebound it well enough that if you don't turn it over, there's a chance that you go get your own right. You know, board. And then obviously, and last night they did shoot it great. I think they hit, what, 13-3, something like that. Um, so yeah, not good, uh, but obviously Purdue has plenty, plenty of reasons uh, to trust them more moving forward than Mike Woodson's bunch. Yeah, they got it close. It was about the 13-14 minute mark. They got it close. They couldn't get over the hump. At about the 13 minute mark, I thought, ah, they'll win by seven, right? They'll, they'll just kind of, they'll come back and we'll say, well, it was a nice second half. They'll win by six or seven, uh, but that, that wasn't the case. Once they made it a two-point game, another run there from Nebraska, and the game was over. Uh, all right, let's switch gears real quick. Again, Stephen Holder at eight o'clock. Alex Golden, we'll talk some Pacers with him coming up at nine o'clock. One thing we're going to do, and obviously the cold season, the end of the season. We'll get more ammo, if you will, uh, with Chris Ballard, what he says and doesn't say on, it's Thursday, right? Tomorrow, yep. he'll, he'll uh-huh. be meeting with the media. So Thursday and Friday, a bunch of sound of Chris Ballard will be here on the fan. You know, one thing for me, uh, you know, this season, whether you like him or not, whether he had good games and Saturday against Houston, not one of those games. I want to be clear, but Gardner Minshew, the Minshew conversation slash backup uh, quarterback situ- situation, not only because a you saw so many quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks have to play this season in games that absolutely mattered. And B, you know, it's not unfair. It's not a hot take to just wonder about Anthony Richardson. Not if he'll be ready with that shoulder injury, but, you know, will he be healthy all year? And so the backup quarterback conversation will be one that we've had. I want to play two clips if that's okay for you. The first one. Clip seven here, Mark. This is just Shane Steichen on Monday was asked about Gardner Minshew. Have you talked to him about coming back next year, about a contract for next season? I haven't talked to him, but what he did for us was tremendous. Uh, he stepped in and shoot, won us, what, eight, nine games, put us in the, you know, a couple of plates away from hosting a playoff game. Um, so, again, I'm, I was very, very grateful and thankful that he was here with this football team for sure. Okay, so I know, listen, I I think that's a fair take. I haven't talked to him about it, but hey, he helped us this season. We won the games and we're in the position we were in because of him. Rick Venturi, Colts Roundtable on Monday, 
talked about Gardner Minshew as well. Take a listen. My opinion has changed quite a bit. I thought that he was definitely a backup, that he was, I, I used to call him, as you know, thousand paper cut guys, type kind of a game manager. I think he's better than that. I think he's starter two. Personally, I don't think we would have won nine games. I, I, I always say it this way. We didn't win nine games with Minshew. We won nine games because of Minshew. He's, he's very good. He's very, very accurate, very smart. He pushed the ball better in the last five weeks than he did early. He's not great at that. I think he's a much, much better athlete than you think he is. He made so many plays on his feet, extension, either running or actually making throws downfield. We've seen some terrific plays that way in the last month. You know, the guy has leadership qualities. He has his own kind of a funny charisma, but it's there. And he has that selective amnesia. He's not a guy who's going to linger on a mistake. He keeps playing. He's not going to panic. Now, he may his value may have gone up so much that we can't afford him, but I'm not sure the way the NFL is going today. And you, I don't know how many backup quarterbacks, I think 18 got in or something, is I think what you're going to see a trend is a much higher salary for a backup quarterback if he's good today. Yeah, I, I'm in the camp of bring Gardner Minshew back, Andy. I, I don't I don't know if I'm all the way there with Rick Venturi on just the high, high praise for Minshew. I, I, well, do I was think, surprised by the high praise, quite frankly. And, and he's, you know, to be fair to, to, to the coach, he said that all year long. I mean, he, he's been a big, big Minshew guy. Um, the extension element to him, that is, that has been surprising to me. You know, I, I thought there were moments this year where he made some plays with his legs. I was like, wow. You know, those are those are huge, huge elements uh, that I didn't know was necessarily there with this game. But you know, when you look at teams that were around you in the playoff race, the teams we talked about th- the most, whether it was Houston, whether it was Cleveland, whether it was Pittsburgh, just look at those three. Andy, Cleveland had to have four different quarterbacks played this year. Four different quarterbacks won games for them this year. Pittsburgh, three different quarterbacks played. Houston, three different quarterbacks played. So there's almost just like a quantity of quarterbacks that you need. We we saw virtually every team utilize that, you know, dress of the third quarterback rule or, you know, really emphasize the need for a third quarterback this season. So, I look at the Minshew situation and say this. In a perfect world, Anthony Richardson stays healthy. That's probably not reality. So if he misses a couple games, does he give you a coin flip opportunity to win football games? That's what you want out of your backup. I think that's a realistic expectation, hope, goal for your backup quarterback. And I think more so than many backups, he gives you a coin flip. And that's why I think you should look to bring him back. He's got prior history with Shane Steichen. He's got prior history with Anthony Richardson. Again, these two work out in Florida. They did before the draft. I think the expectation is they will again this offseason. Having said all of that, two things. I still draft a quarterback on day three. I want Shane Steichen to identify a guy he likes with traits. I agree with you. Yeah, uh, I agree. Round five, round yep. six. You know, Sam Ellinger's still under contract, but I'm kind of ready for a Steichen-specific selection at quarterback. And then the other thing is this. Does Minshew want to be here? Does he look at Taylor Heineke in Atlanta, Jacoby Brissett in Washington, and say, no, 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 let me go find that opportunity? Because more so than virtually any other stop in the NFL, the leash is incredibly long on Anthony Richardson. Like, Richardson is not getting benched at any time next season for poor play, or at least, you know, compare him to the rest of the QBs. Very, very unlikely. You're obviously going to roll with him because he's your franchise QB. Does Minshew look at that and say, guys, unless he gets hurt, I ain't playing here. So why don't I go find the Desmond Ritter, the Sam Howell, where it's a little bit more of an open competition. That would be the other question I have with uh, with Gardner. Well, you know the you know the most difficult thing about the backup quarterback uh, conversation is knowing every single backup quarterback and kind of what their contract situation is. In other words, who's going to be available and what kind of money? And then on top of it, you mentioned Heineke, and I do think I do think Heineke is probably the the example that you would use, would it not, with Minshew? Don't you feel like he and Minshew's games are kind of similar uh, to a certain extent? Yeah, can he go do that? And I don't know, I'm just... I'm looking down. I'm looking down the teams. I, I don't know. You know, Will Levis is there with the Titans. Ryan Tannehill is going to be gone. Malik Willis cannot play in the NFL. So you'd imagine they would bring in somebody who would be competent. I'm just looking at teams. I, I have absolutely no no, no idea who, who would even want Minshew. The way I view next season, though, is there's long-term insurance 
uh, whether it's quarterbacks or you have insurance through your employer and there's short-term insurance. And this year, the Colts had to play the long-term deal with the, with what happened with Anthony Richardson. And you got to do it this past year, and you were right there and making the playoffs. And if a few things at the end of that Texans game, or maybe Pittman doesn't get injured against Pittsburgh and he does play against Atlanta, if the officials against Cleveland, like there's always these these yeah buts, these well if this happened or if that happened, yeah you know you could have won the the AFC South. I don't I don't want to go through that again next year, Kevin. I I don't. I, I want it to be where Anthony Richardson is playing so much football that the backup quarterback is used in short term. In, hey, a game here, week nine, he got roughed up. Week nine, he's got to play maybe back-to-back weeks. But my over-under is like one and a half or two and a half in games that I want to see well, a backup and, quarterback in next year. And the question then becomes, again, can you survive? Let, let, let's say it's three games just to play it out. Right. Can you go one and two or two and one? Right. Because, you know. We can with Minshew. You know that. CJ Stroud misses two games. Houston goes to Tennessee. It's not pretty. It's ugly with Case Keenum, but they win a game. Like that ultimately is, you know, again, Cleveland survived this. Pittsburgh shockingly survived with Kenny Pickett going down. And obviously it didn't work out immediately with going to Trubisky before settling on Mason Rudolph. A question I would throw your way again. I think you bring Minshew back. I think you draft another quarterback late day three. I would have a question if Minshew wants to be. I know he loves Shane Steichen, loves Shane Steichen, but still, he's a competitor. Playing time's not going to be here unless Richardson gets hurt. Does the priority for Minshew, do you bump that into the top tier? Because yeah. I, and feel free to disagree with my no, tiers. No, go ahead. Yeah. But how I look at this free agency class, again, very notable free agency class, detailed it on 1075thefan.com this morning in a in a story. Pittman is number one, in my opinion. Then on a two, three, four scale, it's some order of Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Grover Stewart. Does Minshew crack that group? Is backup quarterback that important? Is he that important? Boy, I tell you what, I hate saying it, but yeah. I mean, he's behind Pittman. Would you say that everywhere, or no, do you say that because no, of Anthony Richardson? No, I, I would say that simply because of Anthony Richardson. No. I, I, if, if Anthony Richardson had, if they won even seven games this season, let's say they weren't in it to the very, very end. They weren't until like the last month or so, uh, but they finished the season. And it wasn't the heartbreak. You know, they weren't going to make the playoffs against Houston. Uh, to me, I'm fine with Minshew going. I trust Shane Steichen in free agency and in the draft, like you mentioned, to go get a backup quarterback for a few games. But, I mean, this was Gardner Minshew's team. I mean, he finished games that they needed him to win. He finished the tech, uh, the, the 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 Texans game. He started 13 games. Yeah, he seven started, six. Yeah, but even the games he came in in relief, right, you think right. of Tennessee, you think of Houston. I mean, he, he played well enough. He was ready to go. And I, I don't know. I think his value, you know, we talked about it. What did we talk about where we said the value for this guy is more so on this team than, oh, than other teams? Was it Pittman? Yeah. yeah. To me, at a lesser extent, obviously, doesn't that fit with Minshew? And the problem with the discussion is if it's not Minshew, if he if you get priced out of Minshew or he wants to go elsewhere, both scenarios, by the way, completely understandable. If that happens in the offseason, you know, then we have to start talking about other backup quarterback names. And that's what, again, I go back to what I said, is so difficult knowing who, you know, who is going to be available, who is not going to be available. But for me, if you are saying, hey, we're not going to keep both secondary guys when I'm talking about Moore and Blackman, then the secondary guy that you're not going to keep, to me, Minshew fits in right there below Pittman, Grover, and then uh, Moore or Blackman. He would probably be four on that list. I think it's a good point Anthony brings up because I think there's something to be said for Minshew being able to really extend his career by staying in Indy as well. He could get good money for the next few years here. Um, I think Minshew has earned the reputation around the league that I think he'll get pretty good money wherever he goes. Obviously, here, Andy, it was really incentive-laden based off uh, you know how much playing time he got, and he got a ton of playing time uh, this season. I guess it's, how does he view it? I mean, he's 27 years old. He'll turn 28 this offseason. Obviously, that's still young in, in quarterback age, but does he look at that and say, this is my opportunity to try and go? He's not starting here. He's not, I mean, period. So unless he says, 
you know, one-year deal. I, I This sounds weird. Like, hope Richardson gets hurt so then I can prove myself as a starter. I, I almost think this is – it's not the final opportunity, but I think this is a decent opportunity for him to go find somewhat of a quarterback battle elsewhere and see if you can turn that into – one more starting run into your 30s. What did you think, though? What do you think his mentality was this when he signed on this last season, though? He didn't think he was going to play that much because they had Anthony Richardson. But he, and Anthony he, Richardson got so banged he, up so often in games that he had to step in. So maybe that was his mentality last year he, where he's like, here's the well, I don't know how much I'm going to play, but, you know. You're right. Here's the difference, though. The difference is I feel like going into this year, Minshew wasn't seen as a guy that could win you games. He lost games in Philly. They had a loaded roster in Philly, and he goes in. I mean, there was a stat at the beginning of the year. I mean, he he didn't beat good teams, right? Yeah, he Reme- lost like what yeah, nine remember, and ten or I mean, something. We like did that. that stat to me yeah. this year. Turned Minshew turned into hey he he is a little bit of a winner this year. That's what that's what the Colts did for him, and he did for the Colts was there the the W word, the winning word, the winner word started to kind of be mentioned with him. That was not the case going into going into this season. Yeah, like that's Heineke, how I view it. the Heineke and Brissett of the world probably viewed a little bit higher than him entering the season. But again, he only signed a one year deal, so clearly he wasn't married to you know this sort of situation. And he did sign here a month before Anthony Richardson was drafted. And if you look at the contract. I forget the scale. For some reason, three to like seven million is popping in my head. But there was a big scale on the Colts saying to him, "Dude, we don't know how much we're we're going to need you. Like, we think we're going to start the rookie, but we we're not a hundred percent sure." So here's this, you know, very scaling contract. Let's see what happens. Um, Minshew strikes me as a dude as much as he likes Shane Steichen. He strikes me as a dude that's going to look long and hard mm-hmm. at some other options. And, and part of me is like, as he should. You know, I mean, this is an opportunity at 28 years old where he had a decent run here with the Colts this past season. I think he's viewed around the league as a high-end backup. He should. Fine. Anthony Richardson is not moving, leaving. He's oh. The only chance you play yeah. is, is if Richardson yeah. gets injury. hurt. There's a lot of opportunities. I shouldn't say a lot. There should be several opportunities around the league that you could find where there's more of a realistic chance at playtime. So for me, I look to bring him back if obviously he wants to be back. And then I'd also draft a quarterback here coming up uh, on day three. Yeah, you, you talking about drafting a quarterback with Steichen, I, I, I would totally agree with that. The one thing I would say to Minshew before we Ellinger's go to break not is, his guy. No, a total agreement is uh, just don't go to the Jets. Just don't go to the Jets. Just, just hang in there with Anthony Richardson. You have to wear tinfoil to play for the Jets yeah, these days, don't you? Instead of going to the Jets, just don't go there. I don't know if Rodgers and Minshew would be uh, totally on the <laughs> Boy, same those page, conversations. to be honest with you on that end. Uh, coming up next, Stephen Holder. A lot to get to with Stephen, not only the latest on Jim Mercer's health, uh, but certainly this free agency class. Uh, and Chris Ballard meets the media tomorrow. Stephen Holder joins us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Wednesday at 8 o'clock, you know what that means. Stephen Holder joins us, Colts Insider there for ESPN.com, and he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Man, we're fantastic. Uh, sad to see the season end and sad to see it end the way that it did. But a uh, an interesting, at times, a fun season for the Colts. So I want to dive into all to everything. You know, having having read you, uh, whether it be ESPN or obviously on Twitter X and then the spots you've done on the station, I know you, you're very strong on what we saw with 4th and 1. So I want you to talk about that. But is there something having a few days from Saturday night and having Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and now this morning that maybe you were really strong on after the game, whether positive or negative, that maybe you've you've come down on a little bit. Maybe you're not so strong on as the season ended, obviously, Saturday night there against Houston. No, I mean, I, I think going back to the fourth and one play, I 
I'm not outraged about it as much as I, I don't understand it. It's not the, and, and I think I want to be clear. Some people I think are misconstruing, not you, but generally uh, misconstruing what the criticisms are, at least from my perspective, the criticism isn't, Oh, you didn't run it up the middle with Jonathan Taylor. No, I, I understand the, the uh, disincentive to do that in that situation. I get it. Uh, certainly they're going to be looking for that play. Jonathan Taylor had to, you know, had the, the heel issue, uh, whether that was impacting him, I don't know. But the point is there were, there were reasons and there were rationales why that maybe wasn't the best idea. But I also think him not being on the field, I, I think you're playing to the defense's uh, advantage, frankly, uh, because he is such a focus. You could use that against him. My issue is so – forget it. My issue is more so about the personnel. I think – I get it. Tyler Goodson was a, was a pass-catching running back in college, and my response to that is I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I just don't. I mean, uh, there was a previous instance in a fourth and one, for example. They've done this a couple of times where they have played at, play action and used the defensive aggressiveness against them, but they've thrown it to guys like Moali Cox or Kylan Granson who maybe Mo Ali Cox isn't the most sure-handed guy, but, I mean, this is a, a sixth-year NFL player, okay? Not a guy who played 45 snaps this season. So all I'm saying is during the course of the week leading up to that game, Shane Steichen and his staff really thought about that particular situation. If we get a situation like that, this play that we worked on with Tyler, Tyler Goodson is going to be one of our go-to plays. And I just think that's a poorly conceived idea, personally. But I understand, I understand all the variables, and I understand why they didn't do what was obvious. That doesn't mean they had to do that. And lastly, that also doesn't let Gardner Minshew off the hook. It was a terrible pass, yes. Yeah, 2,727 snaps in the career of Mo, Mo Ali Cox uh, compared to 45. <laughs> For Tyler Goodson. Uh, last one on fourth and one for me, Stephen, because I, I, I'm just done with it, frankly. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's an unfair question. If you polled the 46 Colts players that dressed for that game on Saturday night, how many of them do you think would agree with the decision the personnel used on fourth and one? Well, if they had <laughs> complete anonymity, <laughs> correct, that correct. would be the that would be the key. Uh, I I think there would be. Uh, I think there was probably a fair amount of surprise. There had to be, right? There had to be. Uh, they're human beings. I mean, they know it. I mean, uh, what do you think Michael Pittman would have said about that? Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> I Pittman know. was the decoy, if you will, on that play. He's right. the one that was setting the pick to free Goodson. Correct, right. I, I mean, I'm not saying that that he had that he said anything remotely critical. He did. Right. Uh, I didn't even talk to him after the game. All I'm saying is, you know, a guy who, who wants the ball in every critical situation, you know, and then you end up throwing it to a guy who's, you know, barely registered as an NFL player, you know, to this point in his career. Uh, and it, and it doesn't connect. I mean, that has to lead to some, to some second guessing um, um, among players, particularly those who, who would have, you know, loves the opportunity. You know, so that's all I'm saying. Uh, I don't know. Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN. Stephen, I'll throw this at you: that the biggest question among the biggest questions, I think, entering the season was was Bernard Ryman your left tackle of the future? I think I feel pretty confident saying that is a yes moving forward. If I threw that one at you, what would be a question you had entering the year that you feel now the most confident in exiting 2023? Where would you go? Um, I, I would say I, I agree with you on Ryman for sure. Um, he is he, he's definitely a guy who has at least taken that off the table for them. And, and that's really what you want to do. You want to you make sure you have stability at your most important spots. And that's something that just hasn't been the case here uh, enough, at least, uh, over the recent years. I, I would also say EJ Speed has kind of – I think settled things, you know, we talked about at length, we talked about the decision to release uh, Shaq Leonard. And I, and I have no issue with that. I understand why they did what they did. Uh, what we haven't talked enough about is the, the, the role that EJ Speed's presence played in that decision. 
you know, and, and it did play a, a big role. There's no doubt about that. Uh, if EJ Speed isn't available to them or they don't have other options, then they, they, maybe they make a different decision there. So EJ Speed, while he, he definitely needs to be a little more under control at times, like he's got to cut out the, the stupid penalties. I, I get it. Um, but I think he can grow. I, I still think he's a young player, certainly a young starter. Uh, he can still grow. And I think his the impact he's made in pass coverage, for example, has been really big and, and has been um, – has been good for the defense. So I, I like what he's done. I think he's going to be a guy who plays there for, for, for the foreseeable future. Stephen Holder with us. I tell you what, I was going to go to Gus Bradley and uh, Pittman Jr. and everything else. Let's flip that question. What's something going into the season that maybe the Colts didn't do as well that you thought they would do? Hmm. Um, I I would say that's a good question. I think – well, let's say this. I, I thought I went into the season thinking Alec Pierce was going to have uh, a, a real opportunity to emerge. Uh, and it turns out, in large part because of the quarterback situation, uh, he ended up having the same problem he had last year, which is he's a deep threat and they didn't have a quarterback who threw deep. Last year, they had three quarterbacks, none of whom threw deep. So, <laughs> so this year, right. it was really just Gardner Minshew. So, you know, I, I just think that it's kind of frustrating, I'm sure, as a fan to have to, to wait till year three to see what this guy is capable of. I still believe he can be uh, an impact player for them. But, look, he, he is a little bit one-dimensional, at least in terms of how they use him. I think he can do more. But how the Colts use him is certainly in a one-dimensional manner. And he is really their, their guy who runs most of their deep routes. Uh, they just didn't take those shots this year. I think Anthony Richardson will take those shots, and then uh, we'll see what happens from there. Getty, Stephen Holder with ESPN. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, I don't know exactly how it's going to look. It might be the franchise tag, but I am I feel confident saying at this point I'd be surprised if Michael Pittman Jr. wasn't back with the Colts in 2024. Too premature with that comment? No, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I just think you have to look at um, you, you have to look at the circumstances and, in terms of like what's available to them. What do they have? And you know, to let someone walk is one thing, <laughs> and replacing them is something quite different. And you can tell me, all right, fine, we'll go out there and we'll spend our first round pick on a wide receiver. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm all for that. Okay, do you are you going to tell me right now you think that guy can match the production of Michael Pittman as a rookie? Because I'm betting all my money against that happening. I just am. And so the other the other reality here is, what are you saying to your locker room? What are you saying to Anthony Richardson? What are you saying to the fans? You took this big step forward, and this offseason should be about building, not about, you know, creating new problems. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I have no indication. I have no reason to think that they're not going to do it. Um, Chris Ballard's history tells me that he will. And, and if they don't, then I, we are going to have to have a long conversation about Chris Ballard and what the hell are you doing? <laughs> do <laughs> do we know, because uh, I know assistant <laughs> coaching contracts can be a little odd. Do we know if Gus Bradley is under contract for 2024? That is a great question. I am not 100% certain. Um, I believe so, but that is a great question. Sometimes they do those uh, assistant coach contracts in two-year increments. Right. That, that's kind of why I was asking it. Right. Coordinators can be different, though. Um, position coaches, in my history, I think the, the average is a couple years. But on coordinators, particularly someone like Gus, who, who probably had options, you know, you, you may have to go longer, and they often do. So let's get that clarified with Chris Ballard tomorrow, actually, because yeah. I don't know for sure. It's a great question, though. Yeah, that's going to be one of the questions Ballard's probably going to field a few questions on. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Sticking with Gus Bradley, what, what criticism is fair? What praise is fair for the job he did. And I guess ultimately, what do you think happens at that spot with defensive coordinator? 
Well, I'll answer the second question first. I mean, I, and I'm basing this largely on Shane Steichen's comments, not only on Monday, but really over several weeks. Um, I assume that, that Gus Bradley is, is returning to the Colts next season. I, I don't think there's any indication that, that Shane Steichen's going another direction. If he is, then that was great misdirection on his part. I, I really don't think that to be the case. Uh, as I said uh, immediately after to Kevin and others, um, and after the press conference, I said, this is a guy who never, ever, ever says anything definitive and here he is saying something relatively definitive about Gus Bradley. So I'm going to take him at his word on that. I think that was notable. Now, in terms of evaluating Gus Bradley, here are my thoughts. I think you can, we can criticize the, the coverage issues. They were many. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. I think what we haven't done enough of is give him credit for, for generating a very productive pass rush. This team had more sacks than they've had since moving to Indianapolis. More sacks than any team since the Mayflower got here. And, and again, sacks aren't the only metric of pass rush. They are not. But I thought their pass rush generally was fine. Uh, in fact, I thought it was good. At times, you want to see in some key moments, you want to see guys get home. And they didn't always do that. So, you know, that can be frustrating. But I think overall, you have to be happy about the pass rush. And largely with the same cast of players he did it with last year, uh, one ex- the one difference being Samson Ebucom versus uh, Ngakwe. But I think really you're talking about largely the same cast of players. Now, in the secondary, I, I think the criticism has to be balanced with, I think, some realism. And that realism should reflect the fact that, like, he was basically playing with a, a practice squad back there for much of the season. I mean, you, you can't expect much. And I think you saw the difference it, it went from bad to worse when Julian Blackman went down, who I think was, was having a great season. It was kind of overshadowed maybe, but I thought he was having a really good season. So Gus Bradley really was up against it in that secondary. And it doesn't excuse what they did, uh, but I just think, you know, look, I, I don't know that the expectations should have been much higher in retrospect. I think this is more of a Chris Ballard problem than a Gus Bradley problem, frankly. I mean, we knew this was an area of concern. We talked about it in the offseason, and turns out, wow, what a surprise. Uh, and, in fact, it got worse because the injuries mounted. Now, the last thing I'll say, there, there's a separate criticism, and that is that he is, too, um, he is too static in his coverages, Gus Bradley. That is a fair criticism, but it's also who he is. You know that going in. Yep. They hired him anyway. So uh, that is more a philosophical thing that they have to talk about internally and figure out if that's where they want to go. Yeah, I think that's a look in the mirror moment for Shane Steichen right now. What do you want your defense to be in your head coaching right. era, um, whether that's this offseason or moving forward? Okay, last one from me, Stephen. As always, appreciate the time. Uh, we saw the Jim Irsay statement yesterday from the Colts about um, his illness currently, severe respiratory illness, uh, is what the Colts labeled it as. I <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I don't. I didn't see him at the last two games. Uh, you know, I, I don't travel to the Atlanta game. I don't know if you saw him there. The Steelers game's the last game I remember him being at, which is very, very rare for him. Uh, anything more to add uh, outside of the Colts statement yesterday about Jim Mercer currently being treated for a severe respiratory illness? No, just more so the same that you just said, which is I have not laid eyes on Jim Mercer in quite some time, and. And you are, you are correct. That is very rare. Uh, and you mentioned the road games. I think that's key because at home, while we do see him in the post-game videos from the locker room, but that's before we get into the locker room as media. By the time we get in there, they've ushered him out to that back door, and, and we don't see him at home. On the road, they don't have that advantage. You know, it's basically a, a glorified high school locker room when you go to an NFL road um, locker room. I mean, I'm not kidding, right? I mean, you've been right, to some of right. these. And so, which is kind of funny, right? <laughs> In a $9 billion industry, but whatever. Anyway, there's no back door. There's just one way in, one way out. It's kind of rinky-dink. 
And usually if he's in there, you know, because there's security and his golf cart is parked right outside. I saw, I have seen none of that the last few road mm-hmm. games. And, and frankly, um, I had been wondering about his whereabouts and was looking for him. So I was, I was glad that we got some kind of acknowledgement from the team that something's going on. I'm not saying they owe it to us. All I'm saying is I, I think myself and certainly others, I am not the only one have been asking where is Jim Mercer? And so I think that was a result of those questions. And then the reality of, of him having an Ursa show, Ursa collection show uh, in Los Angeles this week. And, and obviously his absence would have been noted there. Yeah, we'll keep following that story. Uh, the Colts finally saying something yesterday. I know a lot of people have been asking, hey, where's Jim Merce in this final run as the Colts trying to make the postseason? Uh, for me, last one for me, Mike Vrabel let go there in Tennessee. Mm. I guess mm. just what are your thoughts? It's going to shake up the AFC South, and I guess I'm not confident that the Tennessee Titans are going to get anyone better. It might be a good thing for Indianapolis. <laughs> I bet you the, the Colts, the Texans, and the Jaguars yeah. were like, Hey, man, sorry to see you go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let me tell you, they just did everybody in the division a favor as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, this guy's a great coach. Um, speaking of Jim Irsay, I mean, we have all – I think we're, a lot of us are familiar with his comments about the Titans over the years. And, and when he talks about the Titans, he can't stop talking about, <laughs> about their coach. That's all he ever talks about is just he loves, he loves that demeanor that he brings. And he, he does bring – a certain demeanor, uh, I think a toughness, um, an, a hard edge. You, you saw that when you played the Titans. Now, they may not have had the most elite skill position talent outside of, um, outside of Derrick Henry, but when you played them, you felt like you were playing you know, a team that, that, was, that was bringing it. You know, they're a lunch pail kind of team, and that is Mike Vrabel as far as I'm concerned. Um, look, will they go with a more offensive-minded type of person? They, they might, and, and maybe that will pay some dividends. I don't know. But they definitely had established a culture with, with Brabel, and that's going to have to, I think, be reestablished with someone else. And that's a bigger deal than I think people think. Last thing is this. Uh, I, I don't think this is really about football. There had to be – I mean, this is just a, an opinion, not a report. I'm just giving you my sense – I really wonder whether there were some interpersonal disagreements there because I don't think you you make that move now with this guy in that situation with all he's done for that team. So I'm assuming this is not about football. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Vrabel, uh, one of the guys the Colts interviewed back in 2018 before hiring Josh McDaniels, Chris Boward early in that process, among others. Matt Rule actually interviewed Dan Campbell the second time around along with Frank Reich and Leslie Frazier. Steven, thanks so much for all of our Wednesday visits throughout the season. Uh, You more than deserve a couple of Wednesday mornings off from us. Hopefully the news cycle will abide (laughs) on that end for the Colts, and uh, we'll we'll catch up later in the offseason. Yeah, if only the new cycle would. I know. I, I, insert jinx here. <laughs> yeah. I apologize We'll up see you front. next week, Stephen, because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I see you guys. <laughs> Yeah, 9 o'clock hour. Thanks for hanging out with us. One more hour to go here on the Wake Up Call. As always, hanging out with you in the DriveHubler.com studios. You miss any of the show. Our conversations, our interviews, Stephen Holder today, Alex Golden coming up. You can check it out, 1075thefan.com. And reminder, tonight, Pacers back in action. Our coverage here on The Fan, Washington and Indy, right here, 637 o'clock tip-off, right here on The Fan. All right, let's talk Halliburton. Let's talk Pacers. And let's do it with our guy, Alex Golden, joins us, Setting the Pace podcast, and he joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, good morning, man. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm doing good, Andy. How are you doing, man? Man, we're fantastic. Uh, We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday. I guess uh, a two-parter to get things going. Halliburton goes down. He gets carried off. You see the towel over the head. I guess, what were your initial thoughts? And then, you know, perhaps two, three weeks here, maybe even longer, the Pacers will be without him. What would you uh, constitute a success for the Pacers in the next couple weeks? 
Yeah, when I saw the towel over his head and I saw that he had to be, uh, you know, helped off the court and he couldn't put any pressure on it, my biggest fear was he's done for the year. And, you know, Pacer fans probably remember Victor Oladipo with his injury that he had a couple of years ago and they had to ask, uh, take him off on a card. So it was one of those things where it's just like, I didn't think it was that bad, but you knew that it wasn't good. And so hearing the results that we heard yesterday with the MRI, with it just being a grade one sprain, and then hearing Coach Carlisle talk with you guys yesterday saying that he did walk out on his own power, that was definitely uh, relieving to me because I was, I was really nervous about it. And I was like, the paces are really heading in the right direction. The last thing they need is for a Halliburton injury just to kind of run their plans because it feels like this Pacer team the last at least five, six years since Pritchard's taken over, whenever they've gotten things really going, it's been injury after injury after injury that's kind of kept this team from reaching its ceiling. So good to hear that. But I would say over the next, you know, the rest of this month, uh, especially, it, it's going to be tough. they got this road trip coming up after this game against Washington. And this team is more talented, and they are a little bit deeper than they were last year. So if they can stay right around the 500 record until Tyrese Halliburton gets back like with those games that he misses, I think that's the ultimate, like, ceiling for what I think this team can do. If they fall, like, two or three games under 500 over the next 10, 15 games, like, I can kind of understand that. I'm not saying record-wise to fall under 500. I'm saying for those uh, specific 10 to 15 games. But if they can just kind of stay afloat, I think that is what you're hoping for while Tyrese is out. Alex Golden's with us here, setting the pace. Great listen to for all Pacers fans out there, Alex's podcast. I probably should have double-checked this, Alex, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but um, Halliburton, if he makes All-NBA, that contract rises to, like, I think it's $260 million. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's two sixty. dollars As far as I remember, it's $260 million if he does get All-NBA. Two hundred and six if he does not. But okay, still, and how many games does he need to play, right? Because isn't there a game threshold that you need to play? Because I bring that up and think, man, in the back of his mind, if whatever, if he needs to play 65 of 82 games, right now he's scheduled, he's already missed a couple, he's scheduled to miss eight if you look at the reevaluation in two weeks. Uh, I, I There is a little worry, you know, of, uh, man, $54 million on the line if you play out that entire contract uh, if he tries to kind of rush back to get to that 65-game threshold. Yeah, that is a $54 million injury right there, which kind of sucks for him potentially. But, you know, you think about it, he's missed three games this year already. He has to play 65 to meet that threshold, like you said. So that gives him 14 games that he can potentially miss um, with this injury. So we'll we'll see if he's able to come back. I think ultimately you just want to take care of his health long-term. And I don't know if there's anything the Pacers can do for bonuses or renegotiating the contract to kind of help him get some of that money back. I don't know how all that works, but right. I do think that it's a it's a bit of a bummer for him. But the two-week reevaluation thing, like, I would be shocked if he's ready to go after two weeks. But it's it's not – there's a lot of games in January, which is the only part that stinks for how many games he could miss. So it's it's one of those things. Hopefully he's ready to come back by February and, you know, maybe misses like 13 to 15, but still – gets close 65, 67 games played this year. Alex Golden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. And then, you know, hey, listen, I, you're right. It's a bummer. I mean, they, not only are they playing good basketball this road trip, January, we understand the schedule is going to be fun to kind of watch them up against Denver and Phoenix and even Utah's playing some really good basketball right now. What does this do for the trade deadline? And I don't even know which way to, to lead you down here. If they lose some games, do, does that mean you trade more people? Were they going to try to add? We know OG Ananobi, we've talked to you about him before. What do you think the injury does and the timeline of the injury does for the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Pacers are still going to be active in terms of looking at what's available to them, especially knowing that Tyrese can come back. And there's going to be players out there that I think the Pacers are going to have interest in. They're going to make calls on and potentially look to add them because I think regardless of this injury or not, you might be looking to make a trade, not just for the rest of this season, but for the long term. So if there's a deal out there that makes sense, then that does help. And then also what this does, Andy, is that it gives these players that maybe aren't getting as much playing time a little bit more of a chance to kind of showcase what they can do. And maybe that does increase their trade value to a certain degree, which helps the Pacers out in terms of making a negotiation with a trade open. If the guy's playing really well over the next 10, 15 games, Maybe his stock rises to where it seems like, okay, we want that player in this deal, and maybe his role wasn't as significant prior to Tyrese's injury. So I think there are a couple ways to look at it. But at the same time, if this team's clicking and playing well, 
is it is it the right time to go in and make this kind of move and try to you know make an all-in type of move? I don't know. So I think at this point they can probably try to get better around the margins and, and maybe for the long term. But ultimately, I think it all comes down to do they believe the ceiling of this team can, can get deep into the playoffs? And being 7-4 and four, uh, against the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, maybe they feel a little bit more confident that with a healthy Tyrese and a few more pieces – they are they are closer to contending than maybe people realize. Yeah, again, the trade deadline February eighth. So if you look at that, that's just over four weeks post injury for Halliburton, and and the early thought is the reevaluation in approximately two weeks. So just February eighth to keep an eye on with that trade deadline. Again, Alex Golden at Alex Golden NBA. Uh, he is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Uh, Alex, you good with Andrew Nemhard as a starting point guard and leave Matherin and Heald on the bench, or would you tweak a little bit more that starting lineup without Halliburton? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would keep it with Nemhard uh, for for Halliburton just for now. I think it's going to help your defense. It's a pretty strong defensive team with Bruce, Andrew, Aaron, Miles, and Jalen out there, uh, and kind of leave Ben in his role because I've seen a lot of people say, "Okay, this is Ben's time to shine. Ben's time to kind of take over," but Everything we've heard from Coach Carlisle this year, I don't think they really want Ben trying to force anything and trying to push and press to be this number one scorer on this team and think he's the number one guy right now. I think they want it to kind of happen naturally with his development. And so keeping him in the group that he's in, he's been playing fantastic basketball this season, uh, specifically the last 10 games. I mean, he's shooting the ball incredibly well from outside and just getting to the rim and attacking better, getting better defensively. So I, I wouldn't really make any drastic changes to the lineup and then See what you got, because the bench has been the strength of this Pacers team, so if you can bring in a huge scoring punch with Buddy, Ben, Obi, and T.J. McConnell off the bench, I think that is going to kind of help balance things out. They just can't get themselves in too big of a hole with maybe not having as much offensive firepower with that starting group. Anyway, Ben Shepard cracks rotation with this. I, I was just trying to think of kind of fringe guys. I don't, I don't necessarily think you have to go that deep. Obviously, you'll have some injuries around this inevitably, so maybe he will get a minute or two here or there. But um, right now, do you think it'll just be T.J. McConnell, uh, you know, bumped into the consistent rotation? Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, they have 11 guys when, when healthy that are really getting in that rotation. We saw 11 guys play on Monday night against Boston. I mean, Nimhard was the 11th guy into the game, and I think it's because McConnell, you know, I think he missed like two wide open threes in, in the second quarter. And with McConnell's inability to really shoot, I think he's only made one three-pointer all season long. It does kind of change the way that teams guard the Pacers. So at least Nimhard's willing to shoot them, and they have to respect him to a certain degree. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think Shepard gets into the rotation at all. I think they're just going to ride this 10-man rotation. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they do get in foul trouble with their point guards, but that's when Bruce Brown kind of has to become that emergency point guard, which we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> Alex Golden with us. Alex, what did you make of the NBA gods smiling down on the Pacers the other night? The NBA came out. They rewarded the big market Pacers. (laughs) That's what they did. Uh, Porzingis, uh, the the foul should not have been called on him. Matherin goes to the line and make the free throws. I know you tweeted about that, as did others. The final, the two-minute report went against Boston and was, uh, for the first time ever, actually good for the Pacers. It's about dang time, Andy. I mean, how many times have the pace has been on the wrong side of the calls? I mean, LeBron James is even upset about it. It's like, you know, you want a playoff game against the Pacers because you goaltended over the depot and it wasn't called. So, like, you know, there's missed calls that happen all the time. And I definitely thought Buddy Hill did hit the back of Jalen Brown's head. But I agree. He did get the ball first. He got the ball first. So maybe they, you know, ruled it like he got the ball first. So it's just a play on. And then for them to kind of say that Porzingis didn't foul Matherin, which, I, which is so funny, like, even listening to the Boston broadcast, they were just – they were like, yeah, that's a foul on Porzingis, but they shouldn't have called that one on uh, – the one on uh, – they shouldn't have reversed that call that was originally called on uh, Buddy Hill. So I was like, you know, I, I get it. It's tough, especially when you're official at that point. Do you just let the game kind of play out? It's, it stinks to see a game one at the free throw line when you're on the opposite end of things. But when you're on the, when you're on the good side of it, I mean, hey, I, I love seeing Ben Mavin go down there and knock those two free throws down with a lot of confidence. So good for the Pacers. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. I felt that way – I felt reverse in how the NBA totally. officiated it totally. on Monday night, and I felt reverse back when the Colts and the Browns had those two calls at the end of the game. I thought that should have been reversed as well. That's so, a good point. Uh, kind of odd how both of those played out there at the end. Uh, Alex, last one from me, and it's not really a question, um, but I just want to give a hat tip to Jalen Smith. I, I think Jalen Smith has played so well this season. 
Um, you know, obviously last year, a, a lot of hype, and I was a big fan of, hey, he's going to be the starting four and he's sticking around. And, you know, there was that debate about contractually and, and, and what would he do. It doesn't go well last season. There's a big question where would he get minutes this year? Would he be any sort of consistent? rotational player, and that dude brings it. He brings on both ends of the floor, hits open shots, huge block to end the third quarter the other night. It's no question whatsoever, Alex. It's a hat tip to Jalen Smith. No doubt about it. I asked Tyrese Halliburton about this a couple of weeks ago when I was at the game and just kind of got his, getting his feelings on Jalen playing the four a little bit more and going to a bigger lineup. And, you know, he said last year Jalen just couldn't hit his corner threes, basically. He was missing a lot of open shots, and that really did kind of hurt his overall confidence and his game last year with the Pacers being that starting forward. But this season, we've really seen a guy step in and start knocking down shots from outside. And in addition to that, he's put a ton of work into his body. I mean, if you, if you see Jalen Smith from last year to this year, he's added a lot of other body strength. And in addition to that, he's gotten quicker with the ball and, and being able to take guys off the dribble. But we're seeing Jalen Smith kind of evolve as a really good player. And I don't, I don't necessarily think he's the long-term answer at the starting four. I think that it's good for what they have now, and it was kind of nice to shuffle things up a little bit. And I think that it did kind of give Obi Toppin a bit of a wake-up call, too, because Obi Toppin was playing decent, but I think he's played much better since he's come off the bench. So it, it was one of those things where I think the, the shakeup was just really needed. But Jalen Smith, his ability to be that secondary rim protector next to Miles Turner, give them some size, probably one of their better rebounders, too. Uh, he's just a really good player, and he definitely has earned every single minute that he's gotten this year because – you know, he even said it. he started playing in, in camp as the four next to Isaiah with the second unit. But then when we saw them play in preseason, he was the third string center. So I wasn't really sure where he was going to get minutes at this year, but he earned those in preseason. And then when Isaiah Jackson played well while he was injured, Carlisle found a way to reward both those guys to get them, you know, the minutes they deserve. So I thought that was really kudos to both those guys, but specifically Jalen. It's the end of a five-game homestand. Pacers so far, 3-1 and one on it. It's the Pacers and Wiz tonight. Obviously, Indiana lost to Washington a few weeks yeah. back on a Friday night in the nation's capital. Still favored by 7.5 without Tyrese Halliburton. Alex, as always, man, tremendous. Hope you're having a good start to the new year, and uh, we'll certainly be in touch before the trade deadline. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. And, uh,